Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today we continue our studies in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, the Gospel and the Church. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart. We'd love for you to join us over there. We're taking a look in the book of 1 Thessalonians and uh, we're finally into chapter 2. Uh, so I'm going to read uh, some verses from the beginning of chapter two, where the Apostle Paul says, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal that we made does not spring from error or impure motives, uh, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or from anyone else. So we have this uh, letter here from the Apostle Paul to the uh, church, this first European church uh, in Thessalonica. And um, now I don't know, let me just backtrack a minute. I don't know if any of you watch Antiques Roadshow. I know it's a bit sad, isn't it? But occasionally I must admit, I probably do get to watch a bit. And you see these hopeful people turn up with their treasured possession that they dug out of the attic and they're thinking, you know, I think this, I'm hoping this is going to make me thousands of pounds. And they put it before the expert and the experts sort of politely standing there thinking, how am I going to let this person down um, gently? Uh, because, you know, they say, well, you know, this is this would be a 17th century item, um, you know, made by so-and-so and then kind of, but actually uh, there were quite a few copies made uh, in the 20th century. And uh, you can have, you can tell, I'm sorry, but to say this is, this is just a copy. It's, it's not worth anything. It's not genuine. And you can see the person's face. Well, here we find uh, in uh, this letter to the Thessalonians that Paul is saying, first of all, the people, the church in Thessalonica that he has planted, they are genuine. They're not false. They are genuine converts. And now in chapter two, he's going to say, and I am genuine as well. I'm not false. I'm not a false teacher or someone with false motives. I'm also the real genuine article. So he said in chapter one to them, look, you are genuine Christians. There's no question about it. I mean, we only need to look at your faith, your love, your hope. We only need to look at your hard work, your labour, your endurance. We only need to look at the way you welcomed the message with joy in spite of suffering and opposition from people around you. We only need to look at how, having received that gospel message, you then lived it out and uh, the message has gone out across the valleys of Greece that this church in Thess Thessalonica is, is making um, progress and your message is ringing out across 
uh, the whole of Greece. We only need to look at how you abandoned your your pagan Greek idols and turned to the true and living God and and how you're now actively serving him and how you're eagerly waiting for him to come back and to make all things right. Yeah, you guys are the real deal. You're genuine. There's no question about it. By the way, um, he says at the end of chapter one that they have been rescued from the coming wrath because of Christ who is returning, who was risen from the dead. Therefore, they have been rescued from the coming wrath. And so Paul is saying there, you know, um, you may face the wrath of men in Thessalonica. People may not like you because you now are not living like they are with their culture, but you're living differently. Uh, they may be persecuting you. You may face the wrath of men, but you're not going to face the wrath of God. You don't need to worry about that because of God's son who has been raised from the dead. Your victory is assured and your future is guaranteed. So you can feel secure and strong as a result of his resurrection. So he says, you guys are genuine and you have no reason to feel guilty for anything. You're forgiven. In chapter two, Paul now says, by the way, I, the messenger who came to you, the apostle, I also am genuine. Now, you may say, well, why does Paul need to spend a whole chapter, chapter two, defending himself? I mean, it's sometimes a, a not a very savoury thing, is it, to defend your reputation? You think, well, why should you have to speak up to defend yourself? It seems a little bit self-indulgent, perhaps, for Paul to be doing this. But there's a lot at stake here. It's ever so important that the confidence of his readers is not undermined, because if they stop believing that Paul was genuine, then why should they believe that his message was genuine? And why should they believe that their conversion, therefore, is genuine? So it's ever so important that they have confidence in Paul and in his motives and in his manner of ministry. And so therefore, he does defend himself in chapter two. And what are the detractors saying? What they're saying is this, look, this guy he, he travelled along the Ignatian Way, like all these other charlatans, these travelling salesmen that travel along this big trade route that goes from Rome to Turkey. He turned up at Thessalonica. He spent a month with you uh, and then he fled. As soon as there was the first sight of trouble, he ran for his life. He was more interested in his welfare than your welfare. He didn't stay around. Really, he was a charlatan. He just came to kind of put a flag in the ground, to build his ego up, to get your money, perhaps, to um, kind of uh, to, to, to impress everybody. And then he moved on. And now you've never seen him since. You've never heard from him since. It's been months and months. He's not interested. You need to just forget this whole thing. And so they're attacking his integrity. And what's quite striking is this, that the very people who had threatened uh, Paul and attacked him physically when he was present there because they had persecuted him when he was present and hounded him out of town. Um, those very people are now attacking his integrity and his reputation in his absence now that he's not there. And weirdly and perversely, they are using his absence as a basis for their attack on him, 
even though they are the ones who caused his absence because they were the ones who hounded him out of town. And now they're using that to make him feel guilty. The cheek of it. You think, have you ever been in that situation? It's strange, isn't it? When someone else does something to you and then you react and then they make you feel guilty because you reacted to something that wasn't your fault in the first place. You think, how do I end up feeling guilty about this? But it happens, doesn't it? We end up with this false guilt. We end up with this sense of, of, oh, it's all my responsibility. We take the responsibility on our shoulders when actually it wasn't us. It was it was someone else. And Paul basically turns and says, no, 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 no. I'm not guilty. I'm genuine. These guys are the ones that have caused the trouble. I'm not taking responsibility for that. And actually, I'm genuine. I came with genuine motives. I preached in a genuine manner. And the result was a genuine conversion, as you can see in you, in you guys. And therefore, any false, any guilt that I might, you might try to put on me is false. And I think what's striking for me about this sort of transition here into chapter two is that there is no reason for guilt. Sometimes we have genuine guilt for things and we can be genuinely forgiven for that and therefore not feel guilty anymore because we're forgiven. That's what Paul says about the Thessalonians. But sometimes we can have a false guilt and actually we need to resist that and say, no, uh, I'm not going to just carry those things on my shoulders when really it's not my responsibility. And so the Apostle Paul says to them that he came to them, that he preached to them out of right motives in a right manner and that the result was a righteous uh, conversion, a righteous church. And therefore, there is no guilt at all. And actually, they need to have confidence in his ministry. His ministry was not in vain. And so today, as you go through this day, let me remind you of the words of that great song, that great hymn, In Christ Alone. With, with this, I finish. And as we pray, it says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we stand in your power. We thank you that there is no guilt in life because you've taken it on the cross. You've forgiven us for everything. And therefore, we can stand before you with a clear conscience. We can serve knowing that we're doing what you want us to do. Help us, oh God, today to do that with freedom and with joy. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.